All right, let's uh, start with prayer, and then we will get into Genesis 3 and uh, the third tree tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for those who are here. Thank you for their hearts and their faithfulness to you. I just ask that your spirit will uh, be in control, take over this time, and control the words that are spoken, the thoughts that we have, the processing that we have, the understanding that we have. And I ask that your spirit would just ignite a flame of your glory, a flame of your majesty, and uh, help us to stand in awe of you. Pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Yes. Yes. He's in ICU, and he knows that there is a group of godly people, and I assured him that and we would pray for him tonight. And you pronounce his first name? Albies. Albie. Albies. Okay. Mm-hmm. And their last name is O-B- I, uh, is Obis? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he has had an accident and has lost a finger and is in ICU in danger of losing his eye. His right eye. This is the same gentleman that fell off the roof and should have died and had no insurance. Yeah. He does have insurance for this, but I mean, it's I mean, it's just like how much can one person handle? And okay. he's such a godly man. Okay. He just everything is for the Lord. It's such a humble little spirit. Yeah. Well, we need deeply to pray for him. I'm going to open it just for whomever wants to pray, to pray, and then I will close off, okay? No, that's okay. He knows, and that gave him such, you have no idea how much encouragement that gave him tonight. And I see you, they're not letting anyone in to see him, but they, they let him know that there was a really godly group praying for him Okay. Okay. he's got a week, and he needs, they said basically needs a miracle. Yeah. Save his eye, yeah. Right now. 
We lift this sweet man to you, Father, and uh, place him in your your arms and ask that you carry him in these days ahead. That you would send your angels to minister to him in ways that can come only from you. We ask that you would touch his eye, his vision, and if it is your will, that you would heal it. We pray your peace pour into him, your presence surround him, that you would be with the family, that your hand would show itself mighty and strong on his behalf. Let him know your love and let the family know your love. And we uh, put our faith and our hope in you, the great physician and the good shepherd of our souls. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So we are looking at the uh, awesome... ways in which uh, God has set things up, the ways in which he moves, and why he has to move sometimes the way he does, sometimes in ways that are baffling to us and that we don't understand and never will until we get to heaven. And of course, by the time we get to heaven, all the questions we think we're going to ask God probably will become totally irrelevant and forgotten. But A lot of the answers to the perplexities of our life can be found, uh, our life here on this planet, can be found here in Genesis 3. And so last week we looked at these two strange, not last week, last month, we looked at these two strange trees that are situated in the center of the paradise of God found in Genesis 2, uh, verse 9 and verse 17. I'm going to do a recap here for about 15 minutes, especially since there are several who uh, were not here last time, but I plan to recap anyway, so uh, don't feel guilty. (laughs) Um, In verse 9 of Genesis 2, out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life, and a tree in verse 17 that tells us if it, the knowledge of good and evil, if it is eaten of it, verse 17, the middle of it, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So in the middle of paradise, in the middle of perfection, there are two strange trees. One, a tree of life, and the other, a tree of death. And we looked last time at why would there be such a tree in paradise? And part of what we understand of that is that he was giving man choice. And 
this God, and we looked at the nature of God last time, some of what we looked at was that he is truth, he is love, he is just, he is holy, and righteous. Did I mention good? He is good. Of these of many things that he is, these are a few. And so a God who is truth has to give us legitimate choice. It can't be a token choice. And so we looked at the only alternative to God is Satan. Satan who is spirit, as God is spirit, but Satan who embodies the absence of God, the absolute absence of God. God and Satan are absolute. Now, we have a hard time comprehending absolute because there's nothing around here that's truly absolute. I mean, our nature certainly is not absolute. We, you know, we do things that we don't want to do. And the things that we want to do, we can't seem to quite get it right. So we are very convoluted. We, we are not pristine in any way, shape, or form. We're not absolute. We're not absolute uh, evil. We're not absolute good. We're in a murky mix. So it is hard for us to grab hold of an absolute being. But in 2 Timothy 2.13, we see another uh, attribute of God. He is faithful. Utterly faithful. Absolutely faithful. And it says that even when we don't believe, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot. He can't go against who he is. And, and the word for cannot there in the Greek is dunamai, from which we get our word dynamite, which means that he doesn't have the power within himself to do contrary, to act contrary to who he is. He is absolute. So gold can't morph into copper. Gold can't be other than what gold is. Gold is gold. So we have that as a picture. Even if it's liquid, it's still gold. If ice is liquid, it's water. If water is frozen, it's ice. If if water becomes gaseous, it's vaporous. It, it, it changes. Gold doesn't change, and so it gives us a picture of an absolute quality. God is that kind of absolute. So is Satan. Christ and John says over and over again, he identifies who Satan is, that he is a liar. And there is no truth in him. He is a murderer. There is no life in him. He's come to seek and to destroy and to steal. So you have, in the spiritual realm, you have two absolute opponents. And so the trees in Eden of life and death were there because mankind had to have a choice. 
and the only legitimate, authentic choice from God, from life, is death. From God is Satan. And so that choice had to be there. And you say, well, why did man have to have a choice? Because of the nature of God. If God is love, which he is, he cannot, will not force someone against their will to be in a relationship with him. That's oxymoronic. You can't be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want... He's not going to make puppets of us. If he is truth, then he requires an authentic relationship, an honest relationship. And that requires someone choosing that. So here is Adam and Eve, whom he gave authority to to subdue the earth. Adam had authority over the earth. And uh, when Eve ate of the tree of knowledge in chapter 3 of good and evil, the world did not change when she ate of it. It only changed when Adam ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I think it is because he had the ultimate authority over the earth. He was the head in headship over creation on earth. So when he who had the authority chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil to eat out of it, his choice was choosing that which was contrary to what God was and what God wanted. And so you have then the entire planet that had been good, through and through good, is swinging from this region of light and purity and beauty and perfection over into a darkened realm. Because remember, Satan... When he was Lucifer, we looked at last time in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. When he was created, he was created uh, the most beautiful of all of God's relational creations, creatures. And it was a pride that rose up in him that he could be like God and even better than God. So when he was removed, kicked out of heaven, according to those two chapters, and was thrown down to earth, he became the epitome of the absence of God. All that God was, he was separated from. God is holy. He is not. God is evil. He is, I mean, God is good. He is evil. God is love. He is hate. God is life, he is death. God is truth, he is the father of lies. He is the absence, the absence of God. And he is the absence of the characteristics of God, of the nature of God. So he is the opposite of the absolute absence of what God is. Now, until that moment, 
Evil and death were simply some benign alternative, potentially, out there in the ethos. But once Lucifer chose what he did, then he infused that benign option with a malignant evil, a malignant life force. His spirit infused all of those characteristics that are the absence of God, the opposite of God. He infused them with his life form so that when Christ identifies um, Satan and John 13 as the evil one, the Greek word that's translated evil one is poneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S. And it means malignant evil. So he infused the vacuum, the options that were benign, that just rested out there as a choice. And when he made that choice, then he infused that, that vacuum of light and that vacuum of love and that vacuum of, of good with malignant spirit life. So it explains why when we start making an exception here and there in a sin area in our life, some point it takes over and it controls us. It's that malignancy. So we have this then occurring here in Genesis where this planet is shifting by virtue of the free will choice of the one who was in authority, placed in authority over earth by God. It is shifting. And the entire planet is creaking and groaning on its axis and is changing. The nature of the planet is changing and the nature of everything on the planet is changing. So let's look at this starting in verse 7. <clears throat> the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. Their nature had suddenly changed. They saw themselves differently. They immediately started covering themselves with fig leaves. In verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from him. They first hid themselves from themselves. They started covering them. This is the beginning of our layers. We are covered in layers, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. We layer ourselves and get lost in the layers. This is the beginning of it here. This is the beginning picture of that here in verse 7. And in verse 8, they hide themselves from God. And the Lord God called in verse 9 into Adam and said, Where are you? Now this was not a question that God needed an answer to. It was a question that Adam needed an answer to. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Do you have a clue what has happened? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. So fear is birthed, something they've never experienced before. I wonder how that felt. All these strange sounds that now began to happen in the forest. 
sounds of um, the predator and the prey, and the predator finally catching the rabbit or whatever, and these shrieking sounds of death are filling their ears, and there is fear in them that they've never experienced before. It's a whole new sensation. They're afraid. He said, I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you you were naked? His choice told him he was naked. His sin told him he was naked. Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to? And then he starts blaming the woman. (laughs) Scapegoating, you know how we do that. The woman that you gave me, she did this, you know. And so we see that you go on down uh, the verses in chapter 3, and in verse 16, pain is promised, not as punishment, but as consequence uh, in childbirth. And unto Adam, in verse 17, he said, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to, Uh, Cursed is the ground for your sake. So the ground, the planet, is cursed. The planet comes under a curse. Work becomes not a creative thing, but a toilsome, wearisome thing. The plant kingdom, the nature of the plant kingdom changed. Thorns and thistles came. I can just about guarantee you there was no poison ivy in Eden. There's poison ivy out here in this garden, but there wasn't poison ivy in that garden until then. There may have been bees making honey, but they didn't have stingers, my opinion, until this happened. The nature of the plant and animal world changed. The nature of man changed. And the serpent on up there said in the first three or four verses, he said, you will not surely die. You'll just become like God and know the difference between good and evil. You won't die. But we looked last time that of the ways in which immediately man died and long term. How did Adam and Eve die in, in how many deaths did they die? <laughs> One of the changes that happened, and I mentioned last time that I really believe that before sin, the body and the soul and the spirit were one. They were in a, an amazing, perfect harmony. I think similar to the body, the resurrection body of Christ after he rose. His body was transformed in some ways. People didn't quite recognize him, at least not immediately, but he still had the nail prints in his hands. So it was a physical, it was a tangible body, but it was a spirit body that, that Paul describes in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, turn on over there. I'm doing an aside here, but... It's talking about the resurrection of the dead. And so Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. So how Christ looked in the resurrection 
uh, of his dead body is how we are going to look. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, I'll start with verse 40 as a lead-in. There are celestial bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. And so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Raised in perfection. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. The power of Christ to go through locked doors. The power of Christ to come up from the grave and from, from death and hell itself. It is raised in power. And it's not just the resurrection body of Christ that's raised that way. He's saying it will be for all of us because Christ is just the first fruits of this, of the, of the, the succeeding harvest. In verse 44, it is raised a natural body. I mean, it is buried, sown, I'm sorry, a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul and the last Adam, Christ, was made a quickening, awakening spirit. So there is a difference right there between soul and spirit. You, the, the difference between soul and spirit is very, very minute. We see it alluded to in Hebrews 4.12 where it says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword and good for dividing asunder soul from spirit. And so here the distinction is between Adam in perfection being a, uh, a living soul and Christ in resurrection a quickening spirit. So we have the natural body, and in resurrection, we are raised a spiritual body. And I think that the bodies of Adam and Eve were similar because they were perfect. There was no sin. Yes, he was a, a, a living soul, and he didn't have the same kind of spirit body that Christ had upon resurrection, but it was, I think, similar. And there was a merging of oneness of soul and spirit and body because there's no sin. But when sin came, there was an immediate separation. That's what you see this difference being. The spirit drops down, if you will, to the cellar. And the soulish part of man is now bearing the weight of sin and the change of sin. And then the body begins to die. It may not die for another 100 years or 600 years as it was in the Old Testament times, but it is in process of dying. And they are separated. Death means separation. They were separated here in verse 9 and 8, immediately separated from God. They hid from God. So there is a spiritual death with a small s. In their daily walk, they no longer was walking and talking with God face-to-face -face in the garden in the cool of the day. There was a separation. There also, though, was a spirit 
death. Their spirit, when sin came, their spirit died. It still has the characteristics that make man have a place of compatibility with the spirit God. But the spirit, part of it, did not have life in it anymore because it was separated out from the only source of life, which is God. So it's a relic. The spirit that man has now is what I call a relic of Eden. We, it's the place where God can come and be compatible with fallen man because that part of the spirit is still preserved for him, but it is, does not have life in it because the only source of life in our spirit is God. So there was a deadness that came to the Spirit. That's why God seems to have spoken to the people of the Old Covenant in audible terms, differently than he speaks to us as Christians. We can hear something in our spirit because he is in our spirit now. He wasn't then. The Holy Spirit was not there within and so you hear them hearing God clearly speaking as in an audible voice. And I think that he had to because there wasn't that connection. So they died with a small s, spirit walk in the daily grind of life. He wasn't with them. They had to pray now. Prayer is, is the sign that we are not in absolute oneness with God. There will, we don't have to pray in heaven when we get to heaven because we're there in the full presence. Prayer is not necessary. Prayer is necessary here on earth because there is this separation that exists. Christ had to pray. So, we come then now to looking at these two strange trees again. That's kind of the recap. Let's uh, go down to verse 22 through 24, the last three verses of Genesis 3. And the Lord God said, Behold, and as I read this, the question that I left you all with last time is what are these two trees? Now the clues to what I believe these two trees are, and you don't have to agree with what I believe, okay? You may have ideas that will be, uh, you know, groundbreaking and eye-opening here, but there are clues in what I'm getting ready to read that indicate to us the magnitude of what these two trees are about and what it may mean for actually what they are. So, the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also and eat of the tree of life and live forever, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed in the east of the garden a cherubim, multiple cherubims, 
and a flaming sword which turned in every direction to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, what I want to do, and you all will probably be using both of these pages by the time we get through that, that I've given you, but in uh, Eden, and the word for garden there is paradisos. I think I'm spelling it right. I hope I am. Paradisos. It means paradise or garden. Either one. You have two trees. In the garden. Now, in the beginning, which tree was forbidden? The tree of good and evil. I'm going to put death here because the result of that was death. It was forbidden. This tree of life was not forbidden for them to eat. We can assume that for as long as they were in the garden before they sinned, they were eating of the tree of life. We can assume that. I, for many years, assumed that they weren't eating of it, but when you really read it, he didn't forbid them. So as long as they weren't eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's likely that they were trying the fruit from all the trees, including the tree of life. Now over here in the end times in Revelation, there is also, if you want to go over to Revelation 2, To the overcomer, in verse 7, uh, this is the first of the churches, the seven churches of Asia that he's writing a letter to. It's the first promise he gives to the overcomer. To him who overcomes, the middle of verse 7, will I give to eat of the tree of life. Wow. Okay. This tree of life is back on the scene, available to man. 